one of the things in the last several years that that's becoming more and more obvious is Tippett has gotten incredibly strong over the last decade and hooks have stayed about the same um, and, and maybe have even gone the other way on some of the cheaper brands. So, um, you know, if you don't have a, a relatively stout hook, it's really easy to straighten out small hooks. Um, so I, I tend to tie anything I can uh, or anything that's reasonable on that 100 SP just because it's a little bit stouter hook and holds up to the, the stronger tippet that we have now. That was Charlie Craven providing a great tip on choosing the right hook for fly tying. This is the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, episode 125. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. We'll help you on your fly fishing journey with classic stories covering steelhead fishing, fly tying, and much more. Hey, how's it going, everyone? Thanks for stopping by the Fly Fishing Show today. Uh, We're heading to La Pescadora this year for a huge saltwater trip with myself and a few of the Wet Fly Swing community. If you are interested in a big saltwater trip for the Big Four, Go to wetflyswing.com slash Mexico, and I'll follow up with you on some uh, details as we get closer. In today's episode, I talk with Charlie Craven, the founder of Charlie's Flybox, and a fly tying guru. Love that word, guru. Guru, it sounds good. (laughs) We get into some tips uh, on spinning and flaring deer hair today, why he loves biots for bodies, and a new way to tie the post on a parachute. Don't miss this one as Charlie talks about creating an original pattern and why flies like the Morning Wood special have made such a splash. So, without further ado, here's Charlie Craven. How's it going, Charlie? Very well, thank you. How are you? Good. Good. Yeah, thanks for coming on. We had a little bit of technical difficulties there getting going, but that, that happens occasionally. And the, the good thing is we have you on here. We're going to dig into some fly tying. Uh, I've got some questions here from folks out in the Facebook group and stuff. But, uh, you know, before we dig into everything, you know, you have going there, uh, maybe you just talk about how you first got into fly fishing and, and tying. Oh, boy. Um, you know, it was a long time ago. I'm, I'm almost 50 now. So about 42 years ago, I got a fly tying kit uh, for my eighth birthday. Uh, after uh, you know, a summertime fishing trip, my family has always fished and hunted and we had gone on a summertime fishing trip. And I remember I had lost all of my dad's lures and my dad said on the way home, you know, if you, if you learn to tie your own flies, you could, you could make your own lures, you know, and I had no idea what that meant. And my dad didn't do it. I had never seen anybody do it. I didn't know anything about it, but to, you know, it sounded interesting. I was, I've always been in, into fishing. Um, so I got a fly tying kit for my eighth birthday and, and that's sort of, sort of where it all started. Nice. And, and where were you at when you started, when you were eight? Here in, Col- here in Colorado. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. You're in Colorado. That's right. Yeah. And, and, uh, and what part of, what part of Colorado? Um, you know, I grew up in Northland, just, just North of Denver. Um, you know, I don't actually remember where that trip was somewhere, uh, somewhere on the Western slope, if, if I remember right, but that was so long ago. It's, it's long gone. Oh, gotcha. Gotcha. And, and now you, your fly shop. So I guess you, you I think you recently had a, a big move, right? To a new shop. Is we that, did. Yeah. Can you we talk did. a little bit about that and maybe just talk about what, what your shop's like from somebody who hasn't been there before? Sure. Sure. Well, you know, we, we were up in old town Arvada, which is sort of the, uh, uh, you know, the original Arvada neighborhood. So it's sort of a, a boutique little center. And, uh, honestly, we just sort of outgrew the space and outgrew the, the area. There's no parking and, uh, all that. So, you know, at the last minute before our lease uh, was about to end up there and uh, I was about to sign a new one, I found a, a much bigger place less than a mile away. So uh, we've got a new spot that's about 4,800 square feet. It's gigantic. It's got, you know, we've got a big classroom, uh, tons of floor space. We've got room to room to grow and expand. We've got a parking lot now. 
uh, you know, we're, we're all really excited about it. We closed for about seven weeks doing the remodel and uh, kind of putting the new place together and, and, and really, you know, I couldn't be happier with it. I think it's better in every way. So hmm. we're, we're pretty excited about where it's going. Yeah. So, so it's a lot bigger than the old place. Oh, much, much bigger. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I, yeah, I, I was looking at some photos online. I haven't been there, but it looks like you've kind of got a, uh, yeah, it looks clean. I mean, it's uh, kind of a reddish theme almost. It kind of reminds me looking at kind of like Sims for some reason that comes to my mind. Do you guys cover, it, you have a little bit of everything in there? We, we do. We do. We, uh, yeah, the shop uh, is orange and gray on the inside. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a lot of people ask me that, uh, and you know, we do carry Sims and we'll, you know, oh, always love Sims stuff, but uh, I just liked orange. You yeah, know, I wanted the, the old, old shop was kind of a tan and green color and I wanted something different than that entirely. And orange and gray was, was where we went. Yeah. Yeah, no, it looks, it looks good. Okay. And you do, I mean, you do classes there. What, what do you focus on I mean, during the week? What, what is most of your time spent doing? Do you do a lot of uh, you, well, custom orders? You, you know, I, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I spend a lot of my day doing orders. Everybody thinks owning a fly shop is, you know, like the dream job, but it's a job like anything else. You know, I, I spend most of today writing, writing orders for fly tying stuff. Uh, you know, I do a lot of QuickBooks, uh, more than that than I ever anticipated, and more than I'd ever liked. That's the worst part of it. <laughs> um, but you know, it's, it's, it's managing a business. There's, uh, you know, I don't get paid to sit and tie flies all day uh, anymore, anyway. But uh, you know, it's something I enjoy. I can't imagine doing anything else. So yeah. And how did you first start, you know, you go, you mentioned when you were eight, when did, from that point to when you first had an idea of having a shop, how, how did that come to be? Well, you know, as I, as I grew up, you know, I became a commercial tire fairly young. I think when I was about 12 years old, so I tied flies for uh, shops and, and most of the shops around the Denver area, really. And uh, so I kind of grew up around fly shops and then I became a guide as I, you know, became old enough around 18. Um, and I guided for several years in there and, and, uh, um, trying to think what year it was, maybe like 2000, 2004. Um, no, 2004 is when I opened this shop. So it was like 1998, I got a, a job offer to, to open and run a shop up in Boulder. That's Rocky Mountain Anglers. And uh, so I took that job offer and kind of got, got in on the ground floor there to, to kind of figure out how to open a shop. And mm-hmm. uh, I stayed there for about five years. And, and in 2004, you know, it was time to just do it myself. And that's where we opened the original place. There you go. So you just opened it up in 2004 and, and what was that like? You know, uh, can you take us to that, that first year? Well, I can't remember 2004. It's, it's scary for sure. You know, opening, opening a business. And I, you know, like I said, I've done it a lot. I've worked in a lot of fly shops. Um, I've been in the industry, you know, essentially my whole life. I've, I've had one job outside the fly fishing industry my whole life. So, uh-huh. um, you know, it's still, still even having that basis that, you know, it's a scary thing to do for sure. You just don't know if it's going to go and, uh, you know, how things are going to go and, and hindsight, you know, 15 years later, hindsight is 2020. Um, you know, it, it went wonderfully right from the, right from the get go. And, you know, I kind of went through the same thing with this move. You always wonder if, you know, if things are going to work out as well as you hope. And, uh, you know, I can say right now it's, it's better than I ever hoped even with the move. So, hmm. um, you know, I can't imagine it's a whole lot different than any other business. It's, uh, uh, it doesn't matter how much, you know, there's always some, you know, some uncertainty. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's cool. I was I was chatting recently to Bruce Chard, who was talking about we were talking a little bit about IFTD and how it moved from, you know, when it was over in Florida and moved out to Denver, and he was just talking about how how Denver is just this you know hot spot. I think most people know it. Lots of shops, lots of people. Do you see it as? Uh, I mean, do you see a lot of competition? How does that feel? You know, you have a shop. Obviously, you've been around a while, but do you see new shops popping up here and there in Denver? You know, not not so much these days. Just you know, as of late in the last five or six years, I don't really see many new shops popping up. There's there's every you know, every now and again there's a new one here and there, but um, there's sort of a an established um, 
you know, cabal of fly shops in, in Denver and, and pretty well geographically spread out. So everybody's got their own kind of little territory. Um, you know, we don't really infringe on each other and we all generally get along pretty well too. Mm-hmm. You know, there's, um, trouts and anglers all in front range up in Boulder and Rocky mountain up in Boulder and St. Pete's up in Fort Collins. There's, you know, there's a lot of really good fly shops around, but they're, you know, everybody's, they're not right on top of each other so much. So, um, you know, we don't, certainly we all compete with each other, but, uh, Uh, you know, it's, it's not a, not a cutthroat thing by, by any means. A lot of times we'll trade products back and forth. If one guy needs this or that, um, you know, it's, it's a a pretty easy going group for sure. Okay, cool. Well, and on your flies, you know, I was just kind of looking at your website a little bit, looking at some of the flies and you had different names of tires who invented them and things like that. How does that work when you, you know, the stuff you tie, I guess you, you take special orders, but the, the flies you have in your shop, are those mostly flies? Some you've developed, some others have developed, or how do you, you know, how does, I, I'm trying to get a picture of how that all works. You know, what flies do you carry? Or do you just have everything? Well, we've got, we've got a little bit of everything for yeah. sure. Um, I actually just about half an hour ago ordered another fly bin. Um, you know, we've got seven fly bins with, uh, what, 400 bins in each one. So we've got a mountain of different flies and they're not all mine by any stretch. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty discerning when it comes to fly patterns. So I am picky about what we put in. Um, but you know, basically the way the, the, the program works, you know, I think what you're asking about is like signature ties, yeah, exactly. signature flies from signature tires. Yep. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm a signature tire with Umqua and, uh, so when I when I develop a pattern, I'll submit it to Umqua, and if they like it, they'll they'll produce the fly commercially, and they'll be sold in all the fly shops, you know, all over the world. Um, so I get a I get a royalty on on all those flies, but I don't have to actually tie them all. So um, you know, it's a lot like writing a book or or you know, write a song, anything like that. You get a royalty from the from the pattern. Okay, yeah, yeah, and I guess I was just kind of thinking I've been out of the loop a little bit on the you know the shops and stuff. So and I was talking to you know Rainy uh, Rainy Writing a little while sure. back and and she was talking about how she has a bunch of foam fly you know obviously a bunch of patterns of her own and i i noticed i opened up some uh, i think it was big y fly or some shop you know i can't can't remember which one it was but and they were selling i think her one of her foam flies for 70 cents and i was asking oh, her sure. yeah and i was kind of asking if that's okay and i i you know i and that was the question i was trying to get an answer for and she thought it wasn't quite because since it was her fly but i guess it depends on you know who, whose fly or how does that all work well, for, you know, frankly, there's not there's not really a way to patent a fly. Okay. Um, so the flies aren't aren't patented. The names are trademarks. So you know, Craven's two bit hooker is a is a trademark name. Um, so the two bit hooker part of it is tra- trademarked. Well, and if it's trademark, what do, what does that mean for the fly? Somebody can't. That means another supplier can't use that same name. Okay, there you go. Um, it doesn't mean they can't. You know, so it's it it is legal to to rip off somebody's flies, and there's. There's tons of places that to that do it, and it you know it's a point of contention for me. You know, I I put a lot into these designs and developments, and you know without without going too far out here, you know, it frankly pisses me off when I see see other manufacturers you know steal fly patterns of mine, um, or or of anybody's really. I mean, it's you know it's it's just plagiarism. There's yep. no no two ways about it. Yep, gotcha. So that so that's it. So basically, yeah, if somebody so if your pattern winds up and somebody's selling it online and you didn't give them permission. That's just not, you know, that's basically. Well, the, that really they, they have to buy it from Umqua for it to be my pattern. There you go. Yeah. Okay, good, good. Thanks you know, and it's not, it's not, that's not even about the money. You know, the, no. the, the fly game can, can, can be about money. Certainly, you know, as you, as you get bigger and have more patterns, it's, it's certainly worth doing, but um, you know, it's just, you know, do your own work. Yep. Yep. And, and do you think a majority of that, I mean, obviously we have kind of an overseas, a, a lot of flies coming. Do you think it, it's more kind of that overseas thing or is it just a mix of a lot of stuff in this country as well? It's it's a mix of a lot of stuff. Most of the commercially made flies are, are, are made overseas. 
Um, but there, you know, there's a lot of young guys, you know, out on the internet these days that are, you know, starting their own little fly company in their basement, um, that do the same kind of thing. And it, you know, it goes, goes for them as well. You know, everybody's, you know, the, the market exists for those flies because, because I developed a fly or Rainy developed a fly that become popular and, and works and holds together and does all the things it's supposed to do. And then somebody comes along and, you know, copies it and, and puts their name on it or, or even puts it, you know, leaves your name on it. But, exactly. um, you know, you're not you're not getting the credit or the money or the, or the, you know, the, the impetus for any of it. So, um, you know, it's, I, I don't view that as legit at all. And I, you know, it's something when I develop a fly, if it, if it starts to go too close to something else that's already out there, I really, you know, usually just abandon it. That's right. That's right. How would somebody know if they're tying a fly? I mean, I guess you wouldn't know, right? You could tie a brand new fly. You just created it, but it seems like all flies kind of, or a lot of them come from, right. You're using a fly pattern. All of a sudden you're like, you change it up a little bit. At what point does it differentiate sure. different, you know, if, is it different enough that it could become its own fly? You know, one of the things that I look for when I when I come up with a new fly is I, I always want my new fly to do whatever it is it's supposed to do better than what came before it, and that's sort of my uh, my byline on on any new flies. It's got to do something better. It's got to be an improvement over what already exists. Um, so it you know it's got to float better. It's got to be more durable. It's got to be easier to tie. It's got to be um, you know any combination of those things. It's got to be some sort of an improvement over what's already out there. You know, a variation where you you know, you use pheasant tail for the tail instead of hen back fibers. That's that's just because you didn't have the, the material. Um, so, you know, substituting and, and you know, making a, a little change to an existing pattern is not at all creating a new pattern. Uh, you know, changing a couple colors here and there uh, is not at all creating a new pattern. Uh, you know, making a new use for it, making it, you know, making it sink better or float better, swim better, cast better, any of those things, you know, uh, an improvement over what exists, I think, is what makes the difference. Okay. Okay, cool. Thanks for cl- uh, clarifying that. Um yeah, so you have some uh, some classes, I think, at, at your shop. Uh, do you, um, I mean, you, you do some intro. Or do you, can you talk a little bit about your flight tying classes, That what you do there? Sure, yeah. G- generally, the class that I do uh, most often is a, a basic beginning flight tying class, and it goes along with my, my uh, basic flight tying book, which actually came from the class, um, you know, over years of teaching it. So um, the class that I teach most often is that basic class, and it's a, a one night a week for six-week class, uh, a couple hours a night here at the shop. Um, and, and pretty comprehensive, you know, we start off with brassies and black beauties and we end up with Royal Walsh and humpies. Um, so it's, you know, a lot of hours of tying and, uh, you know, the way the class is built, you, you add on to the techniques that you learn each week so that by the time you get to the hard flies at the end of the class, um, they end up being the easiest because you've done all those steps before. You know, I, I say all the time, the brassies, the hardest fly we'll do in the class, because at that point you've, you've likely never tied before. Um, so there's a lot of brand new stuff on that, but even, you know, the second, third, fourth fly, you've done some of that stuff before. So you, you build this toolbox of techniques that you, that you, you know, keep adding to. And that's really what fly tying is, is just collecting those techniques. And as you master them, you get better and better. Um, and it just, you know, can go on forever, certainly, but there's a, you know, basic, uh, basic set of skills that you can pick up in a good beginning fly tying class that'll, that'll carry you a long way. Okay. Cool. And, and for somebody new, if they can't get into a class and I mean, I guess there's lots of YouTube videos, any other things you would, places you would point them to, you know, pick it up if they're just starting out? Well, you know, there's, there's, you know, as I've, as I've taught classes over the years for 30 years now, um, you know, people learn different ways for sure. Um, you know, I, I've always done like online tutorials and step-by-step tutorials and, um, you know, and my books, um, you know, that are step-by-step photos and, and directions. And then some people like, you know, a video where you actually see it happening. Um, so we started doing more of that. There's, there's a lot of good stuff out there. I will caution, you know, YouTube's got, um, you know, probably less really good stuff than it does really bad stuff. <laughs> 
Um, so you have, have to sort of temper your, uh, uh, you know, temper your scope as you, as you look through some of that stuff. There could be a guy that, uh, you know, learned to, learned to tie a fly last week and, and has now got a video on it. So, <laughs> yeah. um, you, you know, you have to, you have to be a little careful with that, but there's, yeah. there is some really good stuff out there for sure. Okay, cool. Yeah, maybe we can just jump into a few, uh, you know, some tips and questions. Uh, I was hoping maybe we could uh, touch a little bit on saltwater flies and uh, as we get into it. But, I, you know, I get questions in kind of the Facebook group. And, you know, one of them, I guess, maybe we just start off with, this isn't necessarily saltwater flies, but tying tiny flies. Do you have any tips? I mean, do you tie a lot of, what's the smallest stuff you tie? Oh, boy, yeah. You know, I live in Colorado, so we're like the tiny fly capital of the world. Um, so, I mean, there's, yeah, there's lots of little tiny stuff. Yeah. Um, so. you know, a, an average fly in Colorado, you know, it's kind of a standard issue fly is a size 20. Oh, wow. Um, it's not to say that you can't fish bigger stuff, but we sell an awful lot of size 20 flies. Um, you know, so, so, you know, for the most part, that little stuff, the biggest thing is to just make every wrap count. You know, if it, if it takes two wraps to tie the tail in, don't use four. Um, you just have to be you know very diligent about how much material you're putting on it, you know, way less dubbing than you anticipate. Um, just scaling everything down. You know, I make a a game in the first class of, uh, you know, I tell everybody to see how little dubbing they can get away with. And Mm -hmm. um, it's amazing how, how little it takes. I, you know, years ago, I remember I had a giant order of RS2s and uh, I tied 700 dozen size 20 RS2s with a package of dubbing. Um, So that tells you how little, little material needs to go on a small fly. It's just, you know, everything's much smaller scale than, than, you know, the layman particularly, but even, you know, even tires that have tied for a while, generally the, you know, if they have trouble with small flies, it's almost always they're using too much material. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Okay. And, and if somebody's coming into your class, I guess they, they walk in, do you have kind of a set number of people typically for, or just does it vary each, each week or each um, it, Well, historically I've always done six in a class, you know, in this new shop, we've actually got a big classroom. We've got about a 700 square foot classroom. Um, so my class size will go up a little bit here in the new space just because we've got a little bit more room, but it's probably only going to go to 10. Um, you know, mm-hmm. it's still just, just me teaching the class. So, you know, it's not like I could do a very good job of it with 50 people, but, um, you know, with a little more room, I could, I could handle a few more people, but you know, typically yeah. six to 10 in the class is about right. Okay. And when they walk up to the table, I guess you have, uh, do you have vices that you recommend or do you, you know, if someone's getting started, yeah, yeah what would they, what would they start with? You know, you know, you know uh, the I, what I generally tell people is buy the, you know, if you're into it, and and typically these are guys that have been coming in buying flies all summer, yep. and you know, in the fall or winter they decide they want to learn to tie it. I, I say, you know, you're into fly fishing, you're you're going to do it. You're not, you know, this isn't a question thing if you're going to like it. No. Um, you know, buy the best stuff you can right off the bat, and you'll buy it one time. Um, which you know is true of all tools. You know, if you're if you're going to use them and get into it, you're you're never going to regret buying a good vise and good scissors and good whip finisher. Um, you know, you're, you're never going to regret good tools. Um, the, the flip side of that is there's a lot of really cheap stuff out there that makes the job a lot harder. There's, you know, no two ways about it. I'll, mm-hmm. if, you know, invariably the classes we start after Christmas, somebody got a, you know, a cheap, you know, $35 fly tying kit, you know, whole set of tools. And, and it's hard to tie good flies with a, with a cruddy set of tools. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're fighting with the vice, the scissors are clunky. There's, there's, you know, definitely a degree of, of quality to the tools. Um, and, and what you can turn out with them, you know, I, I can't tie good flies with bad tools either. And I've done it a lot. So, um, you know, typically I'll, I'll tell them, you know, get, get the best tools you can afford. Um, and, and to get started, you know, it's, it's a pretty basic set, you know, a vice, a scissors, a bobbin and a whip finisher are all you need to get out of the gate. There'll be other tools that you add as you go along, but that'll get you out of the gate. So it's not like you need every tool the day you start. Yep. Yep. Definitely. And, and what do you like to use? Do you use different company as far as the vice? What, what do you typically go with? Um, I've used a, I've used a Dynaking Pro Vice for 
Uh, I got it when I got out of high school. I think I bought it when I was 19. So about, was that 30 years ago? Nice. Yeah, 30 years yep. ago. <laughs> I, know, I still fast. tie flies on that same vice every day. Exactly. Yeah, it goes fast. Uh, here, here's another question from, this is from uh, Chris Kerr in the Facebook group. And I think, I can't, I don't even know if this is, I, I'm assuming this is a him. Um, he had a question about spinning deer hair. And, and it was funny because I was talking to, um, you know, are you Superfly? Uh, we were, we were chatting there. I had a, a previous uh, podcast episode and, and, uh, we were mentioned about the, you know spinning deer hair because that's how I used to do it. Do you typically spin deer deer hair, or how, how do you you know how does that process look? You know, it, it depends on the fly. Um, you know, if it's going to be you know a, like a hair butt kind of thing, no, I'll typically stack it. You know, uh, you know, flare it in place and stack the bunches. Um, you can just you know without moving the thread you know forward or back on the hook, you can fit a lot more hair onto the hook and and thereby trim it a lot tighter. Um, and a lot cleaner when you're all said and done by flaring than you can by, be by spinning. Um, you know, spun hair heads I will typically do on something that I want a fairly loose head. You know, typically a, a sinking fly or, you know, saltwater fly is a good example of that. You know, a, a bonefish slide or something like that. You don't want a, a really tightly packed head on something like that. So mm. um, spinning hair is going to put, you know, relatively a small amount of hair on the hook in the same amount of space as what you would do with stacking or, or flaring hair. Um, so yeah, for a hair bug, I would definitely flare it. That's a better way to do it, I think. Okay. And would you have any, if you were going to spin it, spin the hair, are there any tips to doing it or, you know, if you're, if you're trying to do it right? You know, the, the, it's a hard thing to explain in words, but, yeah. um, you know, the, if you're trying to get a, a tightly packed head, um, and spin the hair, uh, the, the biggest thing I'd say people do is if you're, if you're trying to get it tightly packed, you use a much bigger clump of hair than you think. And that's, that's, true on both spinning and on, on flaring or stacking mm -hmm. hair. Um, you know, on a, on a big bug and, you know, I'm sure you've seen some of Pat's videos. Yeah. Um, you know, that chunk of hair is bigger around than your thumb, you know, on some of the big stuff, it's, it's as big a chunk of hair as I can hold in my hand. Yeah. Um, you know, as I can comfortably, you know, manage to, to get tied to the hook. So, um, you know, on a, on a big fly, you, you, uh, um, you want to get as much in there as you can for, for spinning hair. It's, you know, sort of finding that balance of enough to get the hook covered without being, uh, without making the fly extra dense or extra buoyant if it if it's not meant to be. Yep. Okay. Okay, cool. So yeah, taking it back to the table. So, you know, I'm a new person coming up for that class and I've got everything sitting down and you know, and you pull out the hooks, I guess the first thing. What what is it? Can you just walk through those steps? Somebody sits there, what is the first thing you do in that for that new fly tie if you're somebody's listening to this and they're brand new? The, the first thing I do is I go over the parts of the hook, just so you're kind of familiar with where the, where the hook start, you know, the hook eye, the index point, which is a, an eye length behind the hook eye, uh, where the hook bend is, what the, what the gap is, and how all those things relate. Once you, once you kind of understand that, you know, I think people in general with fly tying hooks are, are pretty confused by them, but I'll, I'll explain how the hooks work and how the sizing works. Um, you know, a size 14 hook is not not based on the length of the hook shank at all. It's based on the, on the gap of the hook, the width of the gap. Um, so a size 14 nymph hook and a size 14 dry fly hook in a, you know, the, this nebulous standard version that doesn't really exist would have the same size hook gap. Um, but either one could be extra long or extra short. Um, you know, could have a curve shank. There's a lot of variables mm -hmm. that go to it, but the gap should be relatively consistent. Um, now that being said, it's not really because there's so many different brands and yeah. they don't all work from the same baseline. So, yep. but that's, that's generally where I start with, you know, the parts of the hook and kind of covering the, the, you know, what to look for in different tools. Okay. Okay, cool. And then, 
And so you have, and the hooks you, you use, I guess you've probably got all sorts of different hooks, but do you have a brand you like, you use commonly for those glasses? Yeah, I, I use mostly TMCO hooks. I do use some, some Daiichi hooks, uh, but mostly TMCO hooks. That's been the, the best hook I've found by a long shot. Okay. And that, and you mentioned the first, what was the first fly you typically start them out with? A brassy. Oh, bra- oh yeah. So brassy. So what would be a typical, what yep. would be the TMCO or the hook you'd use for that fly? The, the hook I use for a brassy is a, is a TMCO 100 SPBL, which is a, a dry fly hook technically, but it's a one and a half heavy wire. Uh, so it's a little stouter. And the thing I like about it is that it is a little stouter. You know, that's one of the, one of the things in the last several years that, that's becoming more and more obvious is tippet has gotten incredibly strong over the last decade and hooks have stayed about the same. Um, and, and maybe have even gone the other way on some of the cheaper brands. So, um, you know, if you don't have a, a relatively stout hook, it's really easy to straighten out small hooks. Um, so I, I tend to tie anything I can uh, or anything that's reasonable on that 100 SP just because it's a little bit stouter hook. It holds up to the, the stronger tippet that we have now. There's so, there's so many, uh, you know, kind of cheap import, uh, you know, Chinese hooks out there these days that, um, gosh, you know, if you tie 4X, 4X tippet to them, you're going to straighten the hook out. And that's just, you know, in, in my opinion, a complete waste of time. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, you spend all the time tying it. You might as well have spend tying a little the more. fly, and you can't fish. Yeah, you straighten two of them out, and you don't ever want to tie another one on. <laughs> exactly. Okay, so yeah, and the brassy is just your standard. I mean, it's basically just some uh, copper wire, whatever you use there. Is that pretty much? I mean, when you teach them that fly, is that yeah, copper wire, basic? Co- copper wire and a little dubbing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, very simple. You know, it uh, it teaches you to attach materials to the hook. Um, you know, make concentric wraps and get those wire wraps butted together tightly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, a little by kind of precursor to dubbing as we, as we start to work into you know flies later in the class ARS two and here's you that use more dubbing, but um, you know, relatively small area. And we we typically start on a size eighteen hook. Um, again, just to to kind of keep you on the small side, it's much easier to to move from small to big as you learn to tie than it is to you know start big and work your mm-hmm. way down. Um, I think that just teaches bad habits and gives you gives you way too much room for error to start with, and it's much harder to scale down. There you go. That's a great tip. So basically, yeah, you start small. I mean, eighteen is fairly small, and, and you eighteen is fairly small. Yeah, yeah, and that's great. And that way, once they nail that, then a sixteen or four, anything below that is pretty easy to take. Yeah, absolutely, you got plenty of room to to do the the stuff as you get onto bigger flies. Gotcha. And and then in those uh, intro classes, do you do and how small do you go then on flies? Um, you know, typically 18 is about as small as yeah. you do in the class, just so that everybody can see it. And, you know, I, I always try to do the flies in the class in, in reasonable sizes that you can fish also. So, um, you know, I probably fish more size 20 brassies, but a size 18 is still reasonable. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Yeah, I just want to get a feel for, you know, your class, and it's, it's kind of interesting. And you mentioned the book. So can you uh, remind me again that, that you have an intro book for somebody if they want to check it out? Yes, uh, it's called Charlie Craven's Basic Fly Tying. It's been out, gosh, it might be out 10 years now. And okay. uh, they just reprinted it again. I think it's actually not available right this minute, but it's coming back in print again. Um, you know, they, they, it's, you know, they tell you it's out of print, which sounds like it's gone forever. It's just between printings. Oh, okay. Um, so they're printing a new batch now and they should be out again in April. Um, but that's, uh, that, that book came from my notes that I, that I took over 10 years of teaching fly tying class. Um, you know, I always kind of kept notes and, and copied notes so that the, the uh, students could have, hmm. um, you know, a set of notes that was already done so they didn't have to sit and write everything down instead of watch, you know, watching the process. Um, and that evolved, you know, over time into a, into a full-on book that's, I don't know, 275 pages. It's a pretty comprehensive fly tying book and, and honestly, probably the best one I've written yet. So <laughs> Amazing. 
Yeah, no, I've, I've had, uh, and I'll put a link in the show notes to that book uh, when it's when it's back out or whatever. But yeah, I've had a number of people that have mentioned that book. I think they've said that that's for sure. If you know, if you're getting started, that's a great resource. So I'll, I'll definitely link out to that. Um, okay, right yeah. So so yeah, I get a I think a good feel for you know getting started. And then you also have other upper level classes you do if people want to take it to the next level. You know, I. I, I do do a few, you know, intermediate or kind of specialty classes. You know, I, I, I get asked about tying streamers a lot. Um, so you know, every now and again, I'll do a streamer class. Um, you know, sometimes I'll get, uh, you know, our beginning class is so comprehensive. Honestly, if you take the beginning class, you've got most of what you need for trout fishing. Um, so I'll have people ask me about doing a dry fly only class or something like that. But um, those are typically people that took someone else's beginning class that was just nymphs, you know, just basic nymphs. So they're looking for the, the other half of our beginning class. Um, but I will do, you know, occasionally saltwater or streamer classes uh, to kind of kind of fill in, you know, when I have a group big enough to, to, to fill a class, I'll certainly do those. Gotcha. And I also saw out there you had a like a fly tying contest. I think this might have been last November. Is that something uh, you could you do? Regularly? We did. Yeah. You know, that's that's something we're just kind of starting back into. Uh, a, a friend of mine, Jason, has been uh, sort of spearheading that effort. And, uh, um, you know, it was actually a lot of fun. It's a lot of, a lot of fun to, you know, he, he set the contest up to... Uh, uh, you know, pick a fly out of the out of the basic fly tying book, and everybody tied it, and we kind of picked the best one. Um, so that is something we'll do more of for sure. It's uh, you know, it just keeps people tying, and that's that's what makes you better tires. You know, the more you tie, the better you get. Yeah, definitely. And and in those uh, in that book, you know, with your your notes, the two hundred seventy pages. I mean, obviously, there must be a lot of good tips in there. Is there anything that just commonly comes out that you would give somebody if you want to say like a, a top ten list of tips that are you know that might help somebody that's new to it or or you know, what do you think of when somebody asks you, you know, what are the best tips for fly tying? Does anything come to mind? You know, I'd, I'd say, you know, use, use a half or a third the amount of dubbing that you, that you think you should use. And then on the next fly, use half that amount. Um, you know, there's, there's really no limit to how, you know, especially on a small fly, to how, how sparse you can get away with dubbing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, make every wrap a thread count. Don't make, don't make three wraps if two will do it. You know, don't make two if one will do it. Um, you know, again, especially on small flies. Uh, yeah. Make sure all your thread wraps are tight. Um, what is tight? Oh boy! What, what is what does tight mean? You, know, you should you should be wrapping the thread tight enough to deflect the hook. Um, you know the, the hook should flex a bit as you wrap. Oh, okay. Um, you know I see a lot of flies that are that are tied fairly loosely. Um, you know especially like import flies I see that mm-hmm. very commonly. Um, or beginner tires that just don't have their bobbin tight enough or don't don't know how to control the thread as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the flies just not tied tightly and there's just no hope of it holding together. Um, and that's, you know, flies don't have to be pretty. I, I, you know, I am a pretty fly guy for sure. Um, yep. but they don't have to be pretty to catch fish, but they do have to hold together. So that's the most important thing is they've got to be durable. Gotcha. What do you think is the most, uh, popular, if you had to pick one, you know, fly pattern, say dry fly that you sell, is, it, is there one that just sticks out? Parachute atoms. Oh, yeah. it is. So, I mean, it just, it astounds me how many parachute atoms we sell. Um, and you know, that being said, I fish parachute atoms all summer long too. Um, you know, it's a, it's a great fly. It's just a generic bug, but, uh, yep. it, it honestly, every year we get so many of them in and I'm, you know, I always look at them and I'm like, Oh my God, we've got a million of them and, and we go through them. You know, they, they, that is by a long shot, the most popular dry fly. Yeah. Yeah. I love, I love the parachute. It's, you know, it, it takes a little skill too. Uh, do you have any tip, maybe think about tying the parachute. Could you talk a little about tying that fly and, and where people struggle with that one? Is that one you, you do in your class? Uh, we we do a parachute. We just do a parachute wooing olive. But oh, right. um, you know the the technique is the same. The the pattern color changes a little bit, and, yeah. and the only reason for that is is we do a conventional atoms as well. So um, just kind of mixing it up, we just do a blueing olive parachute. But it's tied the same. Mm-hmm. And and you know there's a there's a few new 
newish, you know, I say new, um, you know, new 15 years ago now, but uh, kind of new, new ways to tie parachutes versus, you know, what I learned when I was a kid. Um, there's a lot of stuff that uh, um, you can, you know, tie the post, tie the hackle feather to the post um, and wrap it down the post rather than wrapping up and down. Um, that makes a much cleaner hackle collar. Um, you know, I tie a lot of my parachute atoms with biot bodies just because the, the biots don't soak up fish slime like, uh, you know, like a conventional dub body does. So the flies, you know, lower maintenance, you don't have to have to clean it and dry it quite so often. Yeah. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of little tricks. I've got a couple there's a, a video on our website of a parachute atoms with a biot body. Oh, cool. Um, but that's, that's one of my very favorite flies to tie. I, I'm, I'm big into parachutes for sure. Perfect. Perfect. I'll, yeah, I'll link out to that video as well. And, and do you have, I mean, do you have a ton of videos out there and stuff you've tied? There's a, there's a bunch of them on our website. I'm not, I'm not sure how many are there. There might be, uh, gosh, there might be 20 of them on there now. And there's, you know, I've got probably 50 of them filmed that we're just sort of doling out as we go through. Um, so there's, there's always more coming for sure. Okay. Uh, I had another question here. This was from uh, Chad Kennedy. He was asking about um, what new materials uh, are you most excited about? Anything? I mean, do you see a lot of new materials coming through? You know, um, it it depends on what you can. You know, I've been in this game a long time, so there's not a whole lot of truly new stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's uh, these new these new Polish uh, Polish quills, which is a stripped and dyed peacock quill. Um, You know, that's been around. That's what a quill warden's tied with. You know, it's a hundred years old, uh, but now they've dyed the clothes and they're beautiful. You know, there's no arguing with it, but they're not, they're not new. Yeah. Um, you know, possum for, uh, is sort of my new material that I've been playing with it's just American possum cut and zonker strips. Um, you know, possum has been around for a million years, but, uh, it's, you know, sort of a new fly tying material. It's been, you know, being dyed and, and used in a lot of different applications. So there's, there's de- definitely some cool stuff coming through. That's, um, you know, especially for the new crowd anyway, mm-hmm. um, you know, appears, appears new, it, you know, maybe something old, but it's, you know, that's got right. a new little twist on it. Um, and there's all kinds of things like that. You know, it's, there's very little that's brand new, but there's a lot of stuff that's being sort of represented that, you know, in, in many cases is better. That's right. Yeah. I remember, uh, Kelly Gallup was on in a past episode and he was talking about how he was breaking out some of the old streamers from you know 30 or 40 years ago and, oh absolutely and a lot yeah, of kids that's, that's they, all they, brand new yeah exactly they thought it was some of it was uh you know they didn't even realize they were old flies they thought they were brand new because you know absolutely absolutely same stuff nice okay well this is good this gives us a little feel and you know i guess just keeping on that line of the flies another fly that this is another kind of old traditional one but the humpy do, do you do you guys still do you tie a lot of those patterns i do man you're, yeah you're you're Yep. Going right up my alley. That's my other favorite fly to tie. Oh, cool. Um, that was the first, fly, you know, official fly pattern that I learned when I was a kid. And I, uh, you know, I did it horribly and I've, I've sort of developed a technique to do it a lot more consistently these days. Um, but yeah, that's one of my favorite flies. I still fish that fly all summer. That and a parachute atoms together. I fish very, almost every day during the summer. Oh, there you go. Um, so yeah, hump, humpy is an, an old fly that sort of faded away for sure. But um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go fish during the summer without it. I still no. catch a lot of fish on that fly. Yeah. It's a cool fly. I think it, I think it works for lakes too. And different sizes. That's a cool thing. I mean, when you think of the humpy, yeah, I just, mean, just general yeah, bug. Yeah. Just a general bug is that it's kind of like similar to, a, um, Adam's parachute, right? Kind of a generalist. Yeah. Yeah. yeah just generic. Yeah. Generic fish food. You know, it, uh, you know, I fish 14s and 16s. I fish them in orange and yellow and tan and black. And, uh-huh. Um, yeah, they're, they're red is a hugely popular color, but I don't very often fish it in red, but, yeah. um, I, I catch a lot of fish on that, you know, everywhere I go, I fished it on the South Fork this summer, you know, and, uh, 
you know, it was like I was back in 1980 fishing, fishing a humpy on the South Fork of the Snake and, and oh, fish cool. ate it just as good now. So, you know, the, the fish aren't any smarter. <laughs> That's right. And what is, so is the humpy it's got, is that moose? Is that the hair on the back? Um, it's, it's typically, the way I tie it, I, I use moose hair for the tail. Moose oh, for, for the tail, yeah. Um, and then uh, for the for the hump and the wings, I use yearling elk, which oh, is okay. just much more manageable than than moose hair. And moose, that's right. Moose is kind of stiff and yep. a little yep. stiffer. Okay, so so you have the elk, and then and then once you kind of do the little hump, then you drop it off. In, and then I guess you pull use the elk also to pull it up as your uh, as your posts, right? You use that. Well, same, that's yeah, yeah, that's that's where I vary a little bit. My my method of doing it is I actually stack the hair and I do the wings first. Oh, yeah. And then I can take some of the, some of those butt ends out. I can cut those out so that I don't have quite so much of those thick butt ends uh, to build the hump out of. So my my wing height and placement is. Uh, a lot more consistent with that method, with the improved method, than it than it was with the old method. So it's a lot easier to tie consistently uh, with this new this new way than than the old way. And I you know I tied them tied them the old way for years and years and years before I um, you know kind of thought to you know put the wings on first, and and mm-hmm. that's made all the difference for sure. It's a lot more consistent and and you know much better end result I think. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. That was always a struggle, right? Because you get your body built up, and all of a sudden you you, you have a, a very little room to tighten. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. You've either got you know enough enough hair for the hump, and and you know way too much for the wings, or vice versa. And you know, it's just really hard to uh, you know get everything measured and planned ahead of time to where it's going to come out, especially on any kind of consistent basis. Yeah, it's not to say it can't be done, but it's hard to do over and over. Gotcha. Okay, and and then as far as keeping on the dry fly, are there any other common uh, or dry flies you guys sell a lot of there? There are any new ones that are out there you're selling a lot of. You know, uh, uh, Mercer's. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh, we were yeah, just Mike talking Mercer. about it. Yeah, uh, his, uh, his uh, what's it called? The uh, uh, he, he, yep. He he's got a, a bunch of great flies, but the uh, it's a little caddis pet. I just put some up. Um, I'm gonna walk over here and look. Yeah, check it out. Let me know. I'm thinking the one I'm thinking of is the one I've talked about before. Missing links. That's yeah, what it is. That's exactly. <laughs> that's the that's story. It, yeah, the I told that story. Yeah. Great fly. That's it. Okay. Um, you know, that's and that's a you know another just kind of general bug. You know, it's it's sort of set up as a caddis pattern originally, but um, you know it's got some little spent wings underneath the the elk hair wing and and a little parachute hackle in there. It's you know just kind of a low floating emerger cripple catch all bug, um, and he's done it in a bunch of colors and, and variations. You know, from for everything from you know, mayflies to caddis to stoneflies. That's a that's a pretty pretty creative pattern as far as I'm concerned. I'm 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 a big fan of that. We sell that one, you know, especially as a new fly, we sell that one very well. That is a good one. Oh, and I'll put a link to the video on that one too. And can you talk just briefly about that one, uh or what the fly what how you tie that one really quick? Or you know, that one is you know, it's it's a fairly simple body, just a thread body with a tinsel rib. Uh or a, a flat uh crystal flash rib is what it's got. Oh, right. And then uh, a little set of spent Zelon wings with some dubbing between them and then an upright elk hair wing on top of that with a parachute around the bottom. Um, so it's, it's fairly complicated to tie, you know, the first few times you do it because there's a lot going on kind of in a little bit of space. Um, but once you, once you practice it a few times, and I mean, that's, you know, typical of me as well, you know, I've, I've tied lots of flies, but I, you know, any new fly, I have to certainly work through a, a bunch of them to kind of figure out the details and the, um, you know, the little elements that you've got to watch for and kind of get everything in place. It's, it's, uh, you know, an intimidating fly to look at, but if you tied a dozen of them by the by the start of the second dozen, you'd probably have a lot better handle on it for yeah. sure. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, the the missing link uh, definitely. And I guess staying on, I, when I asked uh, Mike was on in a past uh, podcast we had here, and he mentioned that was one of his top flies. I mean, it, just staying on that track as far as your top two flies, are those have we already talked about? Them, or are there anything we're missing? If you say a couple of maybe um, dry as flies? far as sellers go, you know the the mole fly. 
um, which is a little, you know, Mayfly merger, Mayfly major merger pattern that I, gosh, I've had for 20 some years. Um, that we saw a pile of those. That's a super simple little CDC emerger. Um, you know, it's nothing to look at. It's super, super easy to tie, but man, you know, if I, um, you know, was fishing a hatch anywhere, you know, anywhere, anytime, any kind of beta hatch or mayfly hatch, um, you know, and, and during the winter, the small midge hatches that, that fly is almost always tied to the end of my tippet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was, and I had that in my notes here, uh, Denise, uh, Kendall asked, wanted to ask you if, uh, you have any new versions of the mole fly coming out. Well, there's a mold midge. Um, you know, the original mole fly was just brown beaver dubbing and a natural CDC wing. Um, and then, you know, it took off hugely popular. And it was funny because that fly didn't, didn't even get accepted the first three or four times I submitted it. Um, but then it, the word kind of spread about it. And, uh, you know, since then we've got a PMD version, an olive version, a gray version. And then there's a mole midge that's got that stripped peacock quill mm. um, in dyed colors for the body. So a, a little skinnier body that hangs a little bit lower and tied in smaller sizes for a midge emerger. Um, so yeah, there are some variations on that for sure. It's, you know, essentially the same fly, just color variations and size variations. Okay, cool. And, um, a couple more questions here. Uh, this is how, you know, you have a fly shop, obviously a, a business, but we did have another question here. It was, uh, it's basically said going into fly shops and spe- spending too much money. Do you have any tips for somebody who's maybe going in there to buy, you know, they want to get started or maybe they're started, but they, you know, they see things as kind of spending it. What would you, what would you tell somebody? Is this from a fly tying perspective, or yeah, well, the answer probably is the same yeah, either way? Yeah, you know, it would be. Um, yeah, let's let's think let's, let's think uh, fly tying. You know, I, and I I would you know, I started to say the the answer would you know on gear rods reels waders etc. It would really be about the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you, I've never had a customer come in and buy good stuff and come back and complain. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Excuse me. Um, you know that that being said. Um, you know, obviously we've all got a budget. Um, so, uh, you know, I, I generally kind of stick to the rule of buy the best thing that you can afford. You'll be a lot happier with it than bottom rung stuff. Um, you know, leaky waders, you know, with a great warranty, do not make you dry and warm at the end of the day. Um, no. you know, so, so, so good products, you know, are absolutely worth the money. And that's not, you know, that's not from a fly shop owner perspective. That's, you know, I, we just did this big remodel and I bought all kinds of tools and, <laughs> um, there's a big difference between good ones and, and bad ones, you know, expensive ones and cheap ones. They, uh, yeah. they do do the job better. They don't break. They, uh, you know, do what they're supposed to do. There's, there's very little regret in buying good stuff. <laughs> um, you know, and you own, you tend to own it for a lot longer. It's, you know, you can buy, you know, a $150 pair of waders, you know, eight or nine times in 10 years, you can buy a good pair of Sims waders once, you yeah. know, for 500 bucks and you'll have those for 10 years. So, you know, really per day, it's, it's cheaper to buy good stuff than it is to buy cheap stuff. Yep. Yeah. And did you, you remodeled your shop? Uh, did you do that yourself? No, uh, we, well, we had a contractor as well, but we mm-hmm. did a lot of the work also. Oh, nice. Nice. Which was, you know, a, a lot like manual labor, which is not what general fly shop labor is like. So, yeah, it, it about killed us, but, but we got through it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. All right, good. Um, well, anything else? I mean, I guess just thinking about you know some we've been staying on a general clip here. Um, you know, obviously there's a zillion flies we could talk about. I, you know, I did. You know, tools wise, I guess you mentioned the basic tools. Any other tools that you would recommend that are above the basics that somebody should have if they want to kind of? Yeah, I mean, you know, as you as you as you grow as a fly tire and kind of get into different stuff. Um, you know, you've got a, a vice of scissors, a bobbin, a whip finisher, um, you know, a hair stacker, dubbing brush, um, you know, and then as you really get into it, there's, there's an endless supply of tools. You know, there's, uh, this new Swiss CDC clip thing that we've been getting in that's, uh, uh, used to put materials in a dubbing loop, uh, you know, a little more handily than your fingers, mm. um, has been enormously popular lately. We've sold tons of them. 
Um, you know, and that's sort of a, you know, an intermediate to advanced tool. Um, but there's, you know, there's a lot of tools out there that, you, you know, you don't necessarily need, but they do make the job easier. Um, and as you get into fly tying, you know, it's, it's like anything else. As you get into anything, you start to, you know, kind of, kind of be attracted to those little gadgets and fly fishing is, is all about little gadgets. Yes. Um, you know, there's, there's a tool for everything and, and, you know, we, we kind of glom onto that just as, as the people we are. So, yeah. um, you know, there's, there's no end to it. That's right. That's right. What is the, um, as far as, you know, I mean, you have an online presence. Do you, do you do a lot of, are you pushing that, trying to do a lot of online sales or do you get most of your stuff coming through the shop there or through the door? Most most of our stuff is still through the front door. You know, we've got a pretty big population. It's about 2 million here in Denver area. So uh, we've got a pretty good, you know, through the door business yeah. um, and always have. But in the last couple of weeks, last year, actually, we re- rebuilt our website and we've got a, a, a very good online online store and, and it's growing by leaps and bounds. You know, it astounds me every day to come in and you know, there's a pile of orders waiting for us. So, you know, it's just a, you know, I say it adds a couple of days to the week, you know, from, from what you get coming through the front door, the, the online just adds to it. And yeah. so we are pursuing that for sure. Yep. Yep. And do you guys have, do you carry a lot of books? Is that something you have in there? You know, we do. Um, yeah. You know, I, I've got uh, three or four books myself and then, uh, you know, and a lot of these guys are from Colorado. So we, you know, we carry right. a lot of, a lot of books here in the South. So, um, books are not as popular as they used to be. Certainly, you know, the, the new day and age with everything on the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the thing I do prefer about, and I've said it for years, you know, the thing I prefer about a book is that, um, you know, the author has sort of been vetted and, uh, you know, generally it's somebody that, that has proved that they know what they're talking about, yeah. you know, writes a book, um, where on the internet it's kind of, you know, anybody that's got a, a modem and a connection can, can put up whatever they like. And, yeah. um, you know, it's a double-edged sword. There's a lot of great information out there, but you really got to be able to filter it. Yeah, you got to be careful with what you're, what you're watching. Okay, and yeah, I just knows that. And I know a lot of we talk about books and resources here, and a lot of times I, you know, I'd love to send a link out to you know the shops, but a lot of times it's hard to find these books. You know, and Amazon tends to have a lot of you know they have everything. So I mean, are there any places? Absolutely. Yeah, like when you look to find books, like if you get this book, you you don't have. Where do you go to find it? Well, you know, I, I own the shop, so I call my book supplier, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, Amazon, I mean, Amazon's got everything. It really does. I yeah. mean, you know, in, in any, any way, shape or form, that's, you know, that pretty, pretty obvious answer on, on yeah. the book stuff. Um, and I mean, you can find old books that are out of print. Um, you know, sometimes you got to go to eBay for that kind of stuff, but, um, it, you know, it's all out there somewhere in the world. And that is one of the advantages to the internet is you can get stuff that, you know, you can, you can find some old copy that somebody had laying around that, you, you know, otherwise would not be able to find. So, know. you know, Amazon is probably the, probably the best way to do that on, on a, yep. you know, especially older book level for sure. I know that's kind of the struggle that, you know, I think I struggle with is that, you know, you know, they have everything, but at the same time, Amazon, you know, they're known as the, you know, they're putting out the small businesses, right? I mean, the way. Yeah. There's 800 pound gorilla. Yeah. We're all, you know, I, I own a small business you know, yeah. right here and I, I, you know, I fight with it every day yep. and, uh, you know, they, they, they are good at some things and, you know, books, you know what you're getting. Um, you know, some of the other stuff you, you got to touch, you got to see, you got to, you got to try it on. Yeah. Yep. What about, what about flight time materials? Is that something you have to touch and try it, you know, kind of feel to, to, to make I like to, yeah. You know, and I think that's one of the reasons that our, our online flight tying stuff has gone so well is we, we really do kind of high grade things for people. We'll, you know, if you order, you know, a piece of healthcare, you're not going to get a piece of junk, which is very easy to do. Um, you know, we don't, I don't really even allow it in the shop. You know, I, we really high grade through everything. So very rarely do we, uh, 
you know, and honestly, if we don't have a good piece of whatever, you just won't get it. You know, we're not going to send you garbage. So, um, you know, having good materials, you know, it's just like tools. You know, if you don't have good materials, you can't tie good flies. Yeah. Um, so good materials makes a huge difference. So, you know, I do think it's something that you need to touch or at least have the person that's getting for you know what it know what they, they're looking for. Right. Do you know, I mean, how do you know what junk is when you look at the, the deer or elk care? You know, broken tips, um, you know, I've done this for a long time. So, I mean, I've, uh, and, and at various stages in my life. So, I mean, obviously when I was a kid, it, you know, I didn't have access to all the best material. Um, and, and I've, you know, got to see where it works and where it doesn't. But, you know, broken tips or, or curled hair, hair that's got, got bends in it or waves in it or is not straight. Um, you know, a nice, even, consistent tip length. Uh, not a lot of under fur. There's a, there's a lot that goes into, you know, any variety of, of uh, you know, animal, animal hair, whether, you know, rabbit or deer or elk or moose or, you know, any, any variety of critters, you know, the quality of how it's processed and how it's dyed and how it's taken care of. Um, you know, that was one of the things in my, in my basic fly tying book, uh, when I, when I had the book finished, um, I sent it off and I had just a, a short little section, maybe a few paragraphs about selecting deer and elk hair. And my editor, Jay Nichols, I remember he called me back and he said, you know, this, this is a pretty good start, but why don't you, you know, why don't you expand on that? And, and, you know, it wasn't something I really wanted to do because it was going to be so hard to, to sort of put into words what I look for in a piece of DRL care. But I sat down and did it and it's, you know, three or four page long section in the book um, about what I look for in DRL care. And, and honestly, I think it's one of the best, most useful things I've ever written um, because it kind of breaks down what I'm, what I'm looking for, you know, for each individual and what the difference between all those different kinds of hair are. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's something that's, you know, easier to learn if you've got a little head start with something like that in front of you. Um, but really, you know, beyond that, it's, you know, 10 years of trial and error, you know, working with junk and working with good stuff and seeing the difference between the two. Yeah. Gotcha. Well, where do you get your, uh, materials from a lot, a lot of different sources? You know, we, we do. Yeah. You know, all our, all our deer and elk and, and moose hair comes from nature spirit. They have mm-hmm. by a long shot. They're up in, in Kuskia, Idaho, Idaho. Um, by a long shot, the best hair that you can get. That's, it's the best stuff I've ever seen. And very consistently, um, I can't remember the last time I got a piece of hair from them that wasn't, wasn't up to snuff. Um, but we do a ton with hairline, ton with Wapsi, Nature Spirit, um, Umpqua. We buy, you know, a lot of our hooks, hooks and beads from Umpqua. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's, there, there's a, there, there's a, uh, an upper echelon of fly tying suppliers for sure. And, and that's where we kind of, you know, put, put our, uh, eggs in one basket, so to speak, just because we are consistently good. Yeah, that's it. What, what do you think, you know, when you look at yourself in the fly tying, what, what do you think you're best at? Is there anything that sticks out that you really, you know, kind of, if you had to say you're best or maybe I- something you really enjoy? I'm, I'm good at, I mean, I'm, I'm good at problem solving. And I think that's why I've, you know, kind of built so many patterns over the years is, um, you know, I don't, I don't sit down to just make up a fly. I, every fly that I've developed has got a, you know, a reason for being it. It was, you know, solving a problem, whether, um, you know, my swim coach streamer, I wanted a fly that, that wasn't so heavy to cast, but still had a big silhouette. Um, you know, so they all solve a problem. And I think that's what I, I am probably best at is, you know, improving and solving problems of, of flies that either already exist or don't exist and should, um, you know, a two bit hooker, I wanted mm-hmm. a, you know, skinny little nymph that was, that was extra heavy. Um, so, so just solving that problem, you know, something that, um, you know, a lot of people don't like to fish with extra split shots. So that fly sort of does that for them. Um, you know, make sure you succeed in spite of yourself. If you don't want to fish a, um, yeah. you know, a bigger dropper, there's a smaller fly that sinks better and it's, you know, plenty heavy, but it still sinks really well. Um, that can kind of keep the fly down where it needs to be without, without, you know, putting any extra burden on the fisherman. So, um, solving those problems, I think is what, what I, I do particularly well. That's right. And was the, was the two bit hooker, was that your pattern? 
It is. Yep. That is. Okay, good. Yeah. That, now, now you're ringing a bell. I, when I was talking to Kelly, I remember, I think he, your name came up because you got a couple of guys. We were talking about the, the funny porn names and stuff like that. You oh know? yeah. Yep. You so yep. you're part of that, right? Because I think maybe he will have to, I'll have to put a link in to that show to, to relist it. But I think he was telling a story about it was either you or somebody else who, uh, was just getting hammered. No, they're hammered and Kelly because of all these porn names, right? And they're like, "What the hell is all this?" Oh yeah. But there, it turned out they're mostly your flies. It might not have been you. Yeah, been, who was that? Do you know what I'm it, talking about? It, it probably, it probably was. You know, when I when I wrote an article about the two bit when it first came out, um, oh gosh, I don't even know how long ago this was, but I wrote an article in Fly Fisherman magazine. I do their fly tires bench oh, cool. bench column, um, and I I wrote an article about it, and somebody wrote in. Uh, you know, saying that his, his eight-year-old or seven-year-old daughter asked what a two-bit hooker was, and he, <laughs> you know, apparently explained very graphically what that was, um, you know, which which I think is bad parenting. There's yeah, an easy way to dodge bad. that one. I've got plenty of kids myself. Totally. But, um, you know, and that kind of started it. And, and, you know, all of this is, you know, good natured and tongue-in-cheek for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, the two-bit hooker was, was actually called a, a Beanie May originally. Um, and, you know, when I first came up with the fly, my, my best friend, Matt, his wife's name is Bean. And, uh, or her nickname is Bean. So he asked me if I'd name that fly the Beanie May after her. And I did. And, uh, so the fly was called a Beanie May for several years before I submitted, submitted it to Umqua. And then when I sent it to Umqua, they said, you know, we love the fly. It's great, but, but you've got to come up with a different name. That name's not very good. So, you know, I went home and looked at the fly with the two beads and a hook and I came up with two bit hooker. Um, you know, totally, totally, you know, benign, not, uh, uh, you know, thinking anything about it being, you know, literal, yeah. Um, but you know, there's not, everybody's got the same sense of humor as me. So, yeah, uh, it's, <laughs> I think it's pretty funny. What are you, do you have any other uh, names of kind of flies on that same line? They're kind of out there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Last, uh, last year, year before there's, uh, I've got a stonefly, well, a stonefly hopper pattern, uh, called a Morningwood special, which, uh, <laughs> um, you know, I've got a, I've got a list of fly names that I, you know, just randomly come up with, you know, over yeah. the years I've got a list in my phone that, uh, you know, a lot of times I'll have a fly name just sort of in reserve for when I come up with a pattern. You know, that's that's always oh, that's the most cool. fun and hardest thing to do is naming the flies. So I keep a keep a list of you know just kind of phrases and things that catch my ear. And uh, the Morningwood special had been in there for a long time, and then I finally came up with a, a stonefly pattern that was you know the original version was similar to a Normwood special, oh, right. uh, which is a kind of you know old old fashioned stonefly pattern. Uh-huh. And, so morning, morning would sort of fit along with it. And, uh, yeah. you know, there was, there, I, I won't say there wasn't any fight in getting that name, you know, accepted as the official name, but, uh, you know, it's, people remember it for sure. You got it. You got it done. Do you have any, I want to talk, touch base on Norm Wood and maybe some other mentors in a sec, but any other uh, names you haven't thrown out there? You want to give us a little sneak peek, something maybe that's coming or a name that's kind of funny. Um, let me think, you know, the swim coach is a, a new streamer that, uh, should be available any minute now. Yeah, you know, it's they were they were due this month. That's a uh, uh, that fly was named after a guide friend of mine, Blake Clark, up in Cody, Wyoming, who uh, dumped me out of his boat last year, and so I named the fly after him. <laughs> called it the Swim Coach because he kept yelling at me to swim. But um, you know, most of them are named after uh, you know the dirty hippie is named after my wife. I've always, since I met her, I've called that's her Dirty one. Hippie. So that's um, you know they've they, they've all I've, yeah I've got a pretty good string of names. Dirty Hippie Problem Child is a new one. Um, named after my youngest son, who's you know works works really hard, gets a lot of work done, but uh, you know can be a little bit of a handful for sure. Uh-huh. Um, you know, there's uh, I've got another one that's going to come out maybe next year um, called a Fat Angie, which is named after my sister, <laughs> who is not named Angie and is not fat. Um, <laughs> it's just sort of a long story that goes along okay. with that, but yeah, she she was happy about hearing that one. 
Um, nice. but you know, a lot of it's sort of, sort of inside jokes. Uh, you know, they, they, they all have a funny story that go along with them and it, you know, it makes doing demos and things like that fun. Cause there's, there's always, you know, um, you know, Charlie's Calabatus is pretty uncreative. You know, when you get yeah. to, to kind of play with it a little bit, it makes them a lot more fun and people do remember the names better oh, yeah. that way. Yeah, for sure. And do you have a, a book or a plans in mind of, of having all these in a book somewhere so we won't forget all of them? You know, the, the second book I wrote is called Charlie Slybox, and that's got a lot of my patterns in it. Okay. Um, and that book is seven or eight years old now, so it doesn't have the newest stuff. Um, and there, there may be another, you know, another volume of that, uh, you know, as it comes. I've got a streamer book that'll come out in April. Um, and then, uh, uh, you know, maybe I'll, I'll work on, I think I have a dry fly book next on the agenda after that. But once I'm done with that, I, I may work on a, a second version of the Charlie Slybox just to mm-hmm. uh, kind of update it okay. with the latest stuff. Sure, sure. And you mentioned, uh, I guess, Norm Wood is. I, I, maybe you could talk a little well, about. No, yeah, yeah, Norm. Yeah, Norm Wood. I, I don't actually know him. That's a, you know, that's an old fly, and I'm, I want to say from like the '60s, maybe even earlier than that. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of a, a calf tail, you know, orange calf tail wing, orange body, sort of like a stimulator. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I'm sure, sure it predates a stimulator even. That's right. Um, but just kind of a big, big, low floating stone fly pattern, like Montana pattern. Um, and I, you know, I don't know a, a lot about exactly where it came from, but it, it, it was a fly that I'd fished a fair bit. So, um, you know, that name had always stuck in my head. I don't know exactly who Norm Wood is, but yeah, that's um, what I mean. I think, know, that, I think that, Norm Wood might be, yeah, yeah, that's right. I, I believe it just rang a bell because I think he might be out from here in Oregon. I might be wrong, but, uh, Norm, that, that actually does, does ring a bit of a bell to me that you may be right. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. He's, uh, I'm just looking up search and Norm Wood was a fly fishing guide on the Deschutes, right? So he was out here and I think... Yeah, Normwood. Okay, I think I I might know a little bit. So I'll put a little information. I'll search it up on. I always love doing a little a little history here. But you did mention right you did mention uh, Jay Nichols, and you know I looked at like Popovich and some of the other flies you had. Uh, I mean, is there anybody out there that you know if you had to pick one or two people that really in, helped influence you or met, think you think of as mentors along the way? You know, uh, when I was a kid, the first I remember I mowed lawns for for a month to save up twenty bucks to buy a copy of Jack Dennis's. Mm. Um, uh, you know, volume, basic fly tying volume mm-hmm. one or, or whatever yeah. the, the exact title was. Um, so that was kind of the book that I had. Um, but I, you know, I'll be perfectly honest with you. I didn't know a lot of people that tied. I didn't, I, you know, I, I didn't run in the circles I run in now by any stretch. So I didn't, didn't really have an influence. I, I never had somebody that taught me to tie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I kind of figured it out the hard way. And, um, you know, since, since I've kind of come up through the industry, there's certainly, you know, Kelly Gallup's a, a yeah. spectacular tire, great guy, fun, just, you know, flat out fun to be around. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rich Strollis is a, a you know guy from back East Connecticut. Yep. That's, that's a, a great tire. There's a lot of really good guys out there these days. Blaine chocolate mm-hmm. is super creative. Just, you know, every time I see him, he's got, you know, some new thing that just completely blows my mind, which is, you know, not easy to do these days. <laughs> um, I mean, there's a lot of John Barr is, yep. you know, he, I'd say he's probably as much of a mentor to me. Um, you know, I met him that it might be 30 years ago now, uh, when I worked at front range up in mm-hmm. Boulder, um, is when I first met him and he was in the shop here just this last week, but you know, he's, he's certainly a, a mentor and a, you know, an influence, um, probably on everybody in Colorado. And he's, he's just, you know, um, he's not the best fly tire I've ever met, but he is certainly the most creative and, and best problem solver of a fly tire I've ever met. No doubt about that. Mm-hmm. Cool. Cool. Yeah. You mentioned some names that some people I've talked to and some people that are on my list, I hope to get on for sure. That's, that would be awesome. 
Um, and yeah, we're going to start wrapping this up pretty quickly here, but I guess we can start off with just, you know, you talked a little bit about flies and some, some tips and things. Could we, you know, start off with the 222, which is your top two tips, top two flies and top two resources. And, you know, I think we've been talking a little about dry flies, so maybe we can think about, are there any other, maybe if you had to pick two flies, I guess you've already said them, right? Your top two, any other flies you would throw out there is maybe you're, you know, you head onto the river and, and you start with. Oh, for sure. Yeah, you know, I fish. I fish a Charlie Boy hopper and a two bit hooker. Um, you know, so I fish the hopper as a dry and the two bit as a as a dropper underneath it. I fish that an awful lot. Um, you know, I wouldn't go anywhere without those. Um, the mole fly is yep. always in my box. Parachute atoms and humpies are always in my box. Um, you know, jujubatus is you know was one of my uh, well, not one of my very first patterns, but shortly shortly after I started, you know, um, you know, getting flies in the Amco catalog, jujubatus is still probably my most popular fly. Um, you know, if you're on any tailwater, that that's a hands down winner. Um, you know, there's, I, I, I very rarely, um, you know, these days fish, um, you know, any existing patterns just because I kind of want to go out and, you know, find the problem myself and solve it myself. So, um, I try not to, you know, I try not to cheat off anybody else's work, I guess is the, um, you know, there's certainly stuff that turns me on and that I think is super cool, but I try not to get too far into it just cause I don't want to. Um, you know, one impede on that tire's work and, and two, I don't want it to influence mine. Yeah. Um, you know, which, which is just a different way of looking at it for me. So. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. Do you want to pick one of those flies and maybe talk quickly about it and maybe think of some tips that come up as we're talking about you? What was the first one you mentioned? Uh, your, uh, the Charlie's, um, uh, Charlie boy hopper. Yeah. Charlie boy hopper. When you think about tying that fly, are there any, any tips that you might describe as somebody's maybe watching the video that you could just, you know, that you think of? For sure. You know, the, uh, th- that's one of my, that was a, one of the very first flies, first three flies that I got into Umco were the Jujube Midge, the Charlie Boy Hopper, and the Raging Craven, which is a saltwater fly. Um, so the, the Charlie Boy Hopper sort of came about from, uh, you know, tying Dave's hoppers when I was guiding. And I'd, you know, come home at the end of the day and have to tie a dozen Dave's hoppers, which would t- take me two hours. <laughs> and I, I was trying to come up with something that would be a little bit more durable, you know, hold together a little better and float better. Um, you know, especially in the long term. So I started playing with a foam bodied hopper and, and this was 20 years ago. Um, you know, gosh, longer than that. Hmm. Um, you know, I kind of base all this off how old my kids are. My, my oldest son is 25. So maybe even a little, little older than that. Um, and I named the fly after him, but, um, you know, I was, I was just trying to come up with a fly that didn't take so long to tie, but, you know, mm-hmm. would do all the things that I needed it to do. And, um, you know, as, as it turns out, the fly is actually a pretty simple fly. I can tie one in two or three minutes these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but it got, it took me forever to come up with, and it's, you know, just a simple foam body, you know, double layer, two millimeter foam body, uh, super glued onto the hook and tied down, uh, with a couple of rubber legs and a, and a tuft of deer hair. And, you know, in the, in the years since I've kind of beefed it up for, you know, fishing out of the boat. Sometimes I'll put a, a macrame yarn under wing on it or mm. uh, tie it with three millimeter foam on a, on a bigger hook. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, one of the things I probably see most consistently that people screw up on that fly is not pulling the, uh, the foam all the way up past the bend of the hook so that the, the extended body portion of the body, um, elevates up off and, and doesn't yep. encroach on the hook bend. So that, that's what I'd say is probably the biggest Biggest thing I see on that fly, and having the right piece of deer hair for the wing makes a huge yeah. difference as well. No, that's cool. Yeah, I'm looking at your site. Your yeah, and your site's clean. You got a nice black look. It's it's definitely cool. And you have the Charlie Boy Hopper here. And yeah, you can just tell by looking at. It. I mean, the deer hair, or I don't know, is that is that elk hair or deer hair? 
That's deer. Yeah. Yeah. That's deer. yeah. And, and like I said, the, yeah, the right chunk just, you know, works perfectly and the wrong chunk doesn't work at all. So, yeah. um, you know, it's fairly easy to figure out which one does work at, uh, you know, finding it in the first place is a, is a different story. Totally. Yeah. It looks super clean. And when you clip that front, the little nub off on your deer hair, any tips to doing that? Do you, do you pull it back or how do you make it? Does it matter if it's super even I, on that? Um, so I actually cut it ahead of time. So I cut it oh, first and then tie it in. There you go. Um, and that's how I get that those ends so square yeah. and round. You, there's no way to trim those shorter, yeah. trimming them individually to get it, get that little round head on there. So yeah. uh, it's cut first, then tied down. That's how you do. It. Yeah, that's why. That's why it looks way better. And then uh, just one more thing yep. on that the the the, uh, the eye or whatever on the, is that the the dark is that just something that you a pin you just cut it on. It's just, yeah, it's just Sharpie marker, yeah. you know, and I, I joke all the time that I, you know, I put eyes on everything just because they cast better because they know where they're going. But, <laughs> um, you know, if it, if it has an eye, I generally, you know, on a, on a bait fish pattern, absolutely always. But I mean, if it's a, you know, a foam fly that I can put an eyeball on, I always do it. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I say this, I, I, every now and again in demos, I'll have forgotten my, my Sharpie marker and I'll tie a Charlie boy and end up not putting the eyes on it and I'll throw it in my box and I've got five or six of them in my box with no eyes and I will never fish them. Um, not, not as long as there's one with eyes next to it. It's just, you know, they yep. make me feel good. I, I, you know, I'm confident in it. So yep. I like the eyes on there. I don't, I'm sure it doesn't catch any more fish, but it, you know, it's just something yep. that, that makes me feel good about it. So I always put them on there. Okay. Go cool. and, and on the segment, uh, the segmented body, any tips there on doing that? Or how, how do you make that look so clean? Well, so that's, that's just the thread, you know, tied yeah. down, uh, you know, kind of move it's, it's advanced forward on the top of the hook. So you can't see where the thread crosses, um, uh, because it's under the wing, but, um, All you right. know, t- cinching the foam down is, is something that I think a lot of people have some trouble with and, mm-hmm. um, you know, using the right thread, I'll use three out monocord thread. It, it just binds in a little bit easier and it slides a bit. So it'll kind mm-hmm. of crease that foam down nicely. Um, you know, if you're using eight out thread, it's, it's generally too fine and will yep. start to cut into the foam. Um, and if you're using like six out uni, um, which is about the same size as three out Danville monocord. Mm-hmm. It's, it's just a different consistency and, and texture to the thread. So, uh, the bulk builds up a lot faster. So, um, you know, there's only a couple of turns on each one of those segments. And again, that's where, you know, if two turns do it, don't make seven. And that's, I see that a lot. I see, mm-hmm. you know, 13 turns of thread at, at each one of those segments. Wow. It just fattens the fly up and it's, it's more thread than foam at that point. Cool. Cool. And do you have a, you know, I'm just looking at these flies. Obviously you, you take some sweet shots. Any tips? I mean, how do you get these, these shots? Are you using a camera or your phone or how are you doing it? Oh no, they're, yeah, they're with the camera. I use yeah. a, uh, a Nikon D70 and a 40 millimeter macro lens. And, there you go. Um, you know, I've got, you know, since I, uh, started doing the book stuff i've i've gotten you know everybody thinks i'm a photographer i can take really good fly pictures that's about the end of it i can't really take pictures of anything else but um you know with the right setup again you know i've never i spent a ton of money on this on this photography stuff and you know it works really well but it's it uh is is not my by my own doing i do like playing with it you know i i really like taking pictures of flies um, but I, I wouldn't call myself a photographer compared to guys who really are. So I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pull them down to my level by any stretch, but, yeah. um, it is something I enjoy. Yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. You're taking some great shots. Um, yeah, well, there's definitely plenty. I think we covered the two tips there. What about a couple of resources, any other resources you had mentioned for somebody that are thinking about flight tying, you know, books, magazines, resources, anything that's maybe not your own stuff that you, you, you might tell people to t- check out. Well, you know, I don't, I don't dig around on the internet a lot, but like I say, there's, you know, David McPhail's got a bunch of good stuff on mm-hmm. the internet. Um, Kelly Gallup, Kelly Gallup's got a, a, a lot of good stuff he out does. there these days. Um, Gunnar Brammer has got some really mm-hmm. good streamer stuff. Um, you know, the guys at Fly Fish Food have got some really good videos. There's, there's a lot of good stuff out there. And, and like I say, that's, 
um, you know, those are ones that I've watched that are, that are guys that know what they're doing. So that's, that's sort of been vetted. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I don't spend a ton of time, you know, digging around on that stuff just cause it kind of pollutes my thought process. So, um, you know, it's not that it's not good for everybody. It's I just try to stay away from it myself just, just so that I can kind of keep my, my, uh, my mind pure and not, not end up inadvertently stealing something, mm, but, uh, I see. uh, there's certainly good stuff out there for sure. Yeah, gotcha. Yeah, that was that's interesting because I think when I was chatting again, you know, with Kelly, we were talking about that, and he was saying how, you know, occasionally he would just watch a video from some random, you know, somebody he didn't know, and he would pick up some tip. You know, it was like, oh, I've never thought about doing it that way, and it was a pretty, you know, what I mean, it's a pretty cool tip. That's you know, I I joke. I I learn as much in my beginning fly tying classes as the students do because you know they're fresh and clean at it. They don't they don't have a a preconceived notion of how Uh it's done. So. I've picked up lots of cool ways to do things from guys that have never tied before. So, um, you know, never think you're, you're too smart. That That's for sure. There's always, always another, another way, whether it's better or not, but there's another way to do it for sure. That's right. Cool, Charlie. Well, I think that's all, you know, I, I mentioned at the start, we were talking about maybe digging into saltwater. We kind of ran out of time here, but, um, you know, maybe down the line we can get you back on and, and chat about, it. uh, before I let you get out of here, any, uh, in the next, uh, six to 12 months, anything new you got coming with yourself for the shop or anything you want to let us know? Oh, you know, like I said, that streamer book, uh, Tying Streamers, will be out uh, somewhere around April 1st. So keep your eye out for that one. That's been what I've been working on the last few years. And, uh, you know, who knows what's coming with the shop. We've got, you know, so much space and so many cool things, you know, on the agenda. Um, You know, keep an eye on that website for sure. There's always something new coming there. Perfect. Perfect. Well, I'll I'll, uh, try. Yeah. Are you down in in Denver, in downtown or? We're, we're just north of Denver, uh, so we're we're uh, Arvada is just northwest of Denver, about ten miles. Oh, about ten miles. Uh, so just just a yeah, just a suburb of you know t- oh, cool. ten miles north of downtown Denver. So really not far. So if you're in downtown Denver, you're only a you know fifteen minute cab right oh, away. Cool, cool. Yeah, I'll maybe next uh, this next year I'll, I'll swing by if I can get back to Denver and, and say hi in person. That'd be fun to fun to meet you. Um, and I guess so. Charlie's Flybox dot com. If people have questions or want to connect with you. Yep. Yeah. And there's a contact form on there. You can, you can hit me up there and I'll, I, I generally, you know, if I get the email, I'll answer it. So, um, yeah, just, just be patient. I will get to it. All right. All right. Perfect. Well, Charlie, Hey, thanks again. I just wanted to uh, thank you for coming on. We, uh, we kind of were all over the place, I think covering different topics, but I, I really wanted people just, if they hadn't heard about you to check out your resource because you got a lot of good stuff going. So I'll, I'll definitely send people your way and, and, and hopefully find a few of your videos out there. Sounds awesome, Dave. I really appreciate you having me. All right. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. You bet, man. Take care. So there you go. If you want to find all links with all the show notes and links, uh, go to wetflyswing.com slash 125. Uh, We're heading to Mexico this year. It's been a while for me, and there's just something about heading south to another country that gets you fired up. Uh, La Pescador is our destination. I'd love it if you uh, could come down on the trip with us. Go to wetflyswing.com slash Mexico. For more information or send me an email uh, to dave at wetflyswing.com. I've got a new podcast that I've been loving lately. I love to uh, occasionally share new podcasts that I've been enjoying as a, as a uh, self-admitted fly, uh, podcast addict. Um, How I Built This with Guy Raz. It's great. It goes into um, the history of some of the well, most well-known companies. You can imagine I just listened to uh, Starbucks, the founder of Starbucks. And it was pretty amazing. Pretty good show. So... Um, you know, this isn't a new show, but one I just started listening to. So that that's good. If you have a favorite podcast, uh, head over to wetflyswing.com slash 125 and leave a comment down at the bottom of the blog post. I'll know you're you're still listening as we're wrapping up here at the, the very end of this, this show. 
I want to say thanks again uh, today for stopping by to check out the show. Hope uh, you're having a great day and hope to maybe see you online or on the river. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. And if you found this episode helpful, please subscribe and leave a review on iTunes. 